Hello, my name is Vance Need, and welcome to another episode of The PS Plus, a Living Faith Bible Institute podcast that serves as a companion to another called The Postscript. Brandon Briscoe each week will speak with other pastors and professors from the Living Faith Bible Institute on a wide array of topics. Here on this podcast, the PS Plus, we'll take a look at some of those topics in just a little bit more depth. In today's episode, we're going to be continuing our discussion about the King James Bible and looking at the underlying manuscripts for the translations of the King James Bible as well as other Bibles. So, let's do this thing. In the previous episode, we took a look at some various definitions as it relates to the issue of manuscripts and manuscript evidence, and I want to take a couple of moments to review. We're not going to get into every single definition that we looked at, but just the few that are pertinent to today's discussion. The first is a manuscript itself, which is a book or document that has been handwritten rather than printed or typed. Basically, every document of the ancient world was a manuscript because at some point it was written by hand. Before the advent of movable type and the printing press, you had to write it out by hand. As it relates to Greek New Testament manuscript, which is kind of the focus of our study over the next couple of episodes, there are currently 5,800 extant or still in existence. That means that there are 5,800 items ranging from scraps of paper all the way up to completed books that are or contain the Greek New Testament. These are manuscripts that are currently in existence. We also saw that there are significantly more manuscripts of the Greek New Testament than other works of antiquity, like Homer's The Odyssey or the writings of Roman Historia Tacitus. We also learned that an autograph is a manuscript, but it's the original writing in the author or scribe's own handwriting. Essentially, the autograph would be an original manuscript from which maybe copies of manuscripts were produced. Now, as it relates to manuscripts, the similarities or differences within manuscripts is one of several reasons why we have different versions of the Bible. So, for example, the underlying texts that make up the KJV are referred to as the Textus Receptus. In contrast, the underlying texts that make up most modern versions of the Bible are referred to as the critical text. Now, these are two terms that we're going to explore in some detail in future episodes. It's pertinent to mention them here and to note that they're different, even if we're not going to get into some of the more technical reasons as to why they are different at this juncture. And this also brings up kind of an interesting point, a a point that we want to be aware of, which is that this subject, manuscript evidence, man, it's a technical one, and it's pretty complicated. And the aim of today's episode isn't to give you the most solid grasp of every single technical element of this discussion that you could ever have. I am the wrong person for that. Alan Shelby just might be the right person for that, but I'm definitely not your huckleberry if that is your goal. 
Rather, I hope that today's episode provides a foundation for you if you want to study this topic more on your own. So rather than starting from scratch, you have a foundation from which to work. So one of the easiest ways to grasp and understand how the textus receptus and the critical text are different is by reading Bible passages in which the same verse appears differently in each of those respective text types. Now, we've actually explored this before in episode 38 of this podcast of the PS Plus, and I got to do it, guys. I'm so sorry. We've reached the point in the podcast where I'm referencing other podcasts that I'm done, which is like, I mean, yeah, it's kind of a jerky thing to do. It's like when you see a footnote from an author and they're footnoting themselves, (laughs) you know, they're like, hey, I wrote more on the topic. Go back and read my other five books. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be a a self-serving jerk. I just came out that way. So go back and listen to episode 38 for kind of the big picture of various verses that are different in the various versions. But I think it will serve this discussion to revisit at least one of those example verses. So regarding this, we're going to take a look, obviously, at the King James Version of the Bible, which has the Textus Receptus as its text base. And we're going to compare this with the New English Translation, which is also known as the Net Bible, which uses the critical text as its text base. The verse that we'll be looking at is Acts chapter 8, verses 36 through 38, first in the KJV. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So let's look at that same verse, but this time in the Net Bible, and just to call it out ahead of time, it's not going to be a surprise, verse 37 is omitted in the Net Bible translation. Now, there's a lot of doctrinal impacts. Again, we unpack that in episode 38, but we just need to make note of the text that's different. So let's read that same verse, but in the Net translation. Now, as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there is water. What is to stop me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Now, the Net Bible isn't the only Bible that omits verse 37. You'll find this in the New International Version. You'll find this in the English Standard Version. Lots of versions of the Bible. However, we're using the Net Bible in this example for one primary reason, and that is the Net Bible translator's notes, of which there are over 62,000, are accessible online. In other words, the Net Bible, one of its unique features is that it gives some transparency as to why the translator made or did not make certain decisions, and they include that for your viewing, in this case, online. And this allows us to peer into the mind of not only the net Bible translators, but also textual critics. Now, we've kind of defined this term before, that term of textual critic, but really quickly, it is an individual who is using a systematic method 
of rules in order to try and determine which manuscripts belong in the Bible. Regarding the translator's notes for the NET Bible, here's why it says that Acts 8.37 is not included. A few later manuscripts, and then they go off to list the specific manuscripts, literally the individual documents. A few later manuscripts add, with minimal differences in wording, 837. He said to him, if you believe with your whole heart, you may. He replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It is clearly not part of the original text of Acts. The variant is significant in showing how some in the early church viewed the necessity of a confession of faith. The present translation follows NA28 in omitting the verse number, a procedure also followed by a number of other modern translations. So, first things first, even though I am not an an advocate or proponent of the Net Bible, I am really appreciative to always see people's decision-making rubrics, why it is that they made the decision they made. And in this case, it's going to serve our purposes very well. As it relates to that statement, I want to break down a couple of things that were said, a couple of key things worth mentioning, and we'll maybe unpack a little bit of what they are explicitly stating or implying. First, they said that a few later manuscripts add verse 37. Now, this first point is an inference, but one that I think that we can can say with some level of confidence based upon what we know about the rubric of textual criticism, and that is that textual critics are going to prefer older manuscripts rather than newer manuscripts. The idea behind this is that the older a manuscript is, the more accurate it will be because it is closer to the original manuscript than a later manuscript would be. Now again, this is an inference. It's not explicitly stated, but we know that those that are that are advocates and proponents of the critical text also will take into consideration textual criticism because of some reasons that we'll explore here just in a bit. Now, the second statement is equally interesting. Speaking of verse 37, again, which is present in the KJV, the NET translators note, quote, it is clearly not a part of the original text of Acts. So the net translators are convinced that this verse does not belong in your Bible, which is one, why they included it, and also why in the translator's notes, they say emphatically, this thing is not a thing, right? It doesn't belong in the Bible. Now, this assumes that the translators know with certainty what the original text says. Again, they're fairly confident in making this assertion. And interestingly enough, this statement from the net translators actually contradicts what other New Testament textual critics and scholars have said on this topic of what was included in the original and what wasn't. Now, in episode 31, and again, I apologize for being self-referential here, episode 31 of this podcast titled The Fruit of Textual Criticism, we took a look at a statement by a textual critic named Dan Wallace. He's a professor, all-around smart dude. He's an expert in the field of textual criticism. And there were a lot of statements that he said, but one in particular, I think, bears repeating as it relates to what we're talking about today. And it is this. 
We do not have now in our critical Greek texts or any translations exactly what the authors of the New Testament wrote. Even if we did, we would not know it. So, just review, the net translators are confident that Acts 8.37 was not a part of the original manuscript and does not belong in the Bible of any version. Now, I'm assuming that the net translators are smart people. I've got no evidence of this. I didn't do any research. I'm just going to, I'm going to assume positive intent. Now, I know that Dan Wallace is a smart dude because I've listened to him and he uses all the big words and he knows what they mean. So Dan Wallace is a smart dude, and yet he's saying something that's opposite. He's saying, actually, you know what? We kind of don't know with certainty what exactly the original text said. And even if we did have the original manuscripts, man, we wouldn't, we wouldn't even know that we did. We wouldn't even know that we have that original. And so we have these two contradictory statements from translators that are claiming that they know what was in the original and a New Testament textual critic that says, yeah, we don't. I just put that out there so that you can do with it what you will. Let's take a look now at the last statement. The present translation, that is the Net Bible translation, follows NA28 in omitting the verse number, a procedure also followed by a number of other modern translations. Now, first things first, we actually need to define a term that's used here, which is a somewhat technical term, but it's really easy, and that is NA28. What the hey-ho are we talking about? Well, the NA28, specifically that 28, denotes the 28th edition of the Nestle Aland Greek New Testament. That's literally a an actual book that you can buy that is the New Testament in Greek. And it is a critical text version of the New Testament in contrast with what we've been talking about, the Textus Receptus. The NA28 got its start actually as the Novum Testamentum Gracchae and was first published in 1898 in Germany and was edited by a man named Eberhard Nestle. In 1963, when the 25th edition of this Greek New Testament was being published, it had significant aid from a man named Kurt Aland. And this 25th version became known as the Nestle Aland text. The latest version of the Nestle Aland text, the NA28, was published in 2012. So when someone says the NA28 or the Nestle Aland Greek New Testament, what they're talking about is an actual book that has compiled all of the manuscript evidence for the critical text version of the New Testament into a single volume, a book that you can read if you read Greek. And if you were to read the NA28, you would find, particularly when you got to the book of Acts chapter 8, there would be a verse 36 and a verse 38, but not a verse 37. And because the NA28 is a critical text and is in kind of that family of text types, other versions of the Bible that are using texts like the NA28 as their text base similarly would not include a verse like Acts 8.37. 
So the thing that I want you to keep in your mind is that the underlying versions of the text, although they have some similarities, you'll find passages that are similar from the Textus Receptus, the manuscripts that were used to make up the King James Bible, and the critical text, the manuscripts that were used to make up versions like the NET Bible, specifically the Nestle Aland Greek New Testament is kind of the underlying manuscript, that these are two separate manuscripts, and that's why we have different versions. Now, I think it would be helpful for us to take a look at some of the specifics around the Texas Receptus, as well as the critical text, and we will absolutely do that next time. So as always, I want to thank you for joining me on another episode of the PS Plus. If you have questions about LFBI, the Living Faith Bible Institute, I'd encourage you to go to lfbi.org to find out more and get more information. Speaking of lfbi.org, there's actually a new book on counseling called A Path Well Lit that has just been released. It's authored by the host of The Postscript, Pastor Brandon Briscoe, as well as a professor of biblical counseling at LFBI, Jonathan Kindler. They're both stand-up dudes. They wrote a dope book, and I'd encourage you to check it out at your leisure. I hope this episode was helpful for you, and I also hope to talk to you next time. Take care.